the head of AppSoc said to me, he said, this is the single best investment that that we've ever made um, in our in our operators. It's because everybody was using it, right? It's like you can have equipment that collects dust or you can have equipment that's that's being used and everybody was using it. And my point here is just like, yes, to answer your question, you can like you can go at you can go at this different elevation and sell it in at the top. But we just didn't see the buy in like we've done that even like with like corporate gyms, if you will. Right. You sell it at the top and now you're playing this game to really get it sold to to each coach when it's their idea. Uh, it goes much better. We, I used to have this mentor. He said, if, if, if you help them plan the fight, then they won't fight the plan. Did you clear your cash flow? I got Josh Sutra here today. Josh is one of the founders of Train Heroic. You guys have since merged with a larger brand. I want to get into all that and some of the M&A stuff you guys went through. Uh, Train Heroic, it's an online training platform for coaches and athletes. Uh, Josh, let's dive right in. Tell, tell me about uh, Train Heroic and uh, just I'd love to hear more about your story today. Awesome. Yeah, Brian, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, I'll start with the I'll start with the story and sort of how this uh, idea came to came to life. So Ben Crookston, a uh, college uh, buddy of mine, a teammate of mine in at the University of San Diego, had this idea. Both of us were from Chicago, just a little bit of background. We went to school in San Diego, so we just became buddies there. And when we when we graduated, I was coaching at my alma mater back in Chicago or in the suburbs of Illinois. Uh, ben was coaching and teaching at a school in the inner city of Chicago called Perspectives. And I think for for both of us, we were we got really lucky playing college football, and that we had we had this coach Jim Harbaugh at the time. He had brought uh, a strength conditioning coach named Shannon Turley. Uh, we had gone through a, a couple coaches while we were there, but all all the while we had these strength coaches that were teaching us things that you know twenty two years old that we wish we knew when we were you know twelve or fifteen or eighteen. And the reality for us, like we had a specific goal, and it was to play pro football. I think that's like generally as a kid and a naive kid, you, you think, Hey, that's what you're going to do. Right. If, if the, you, you typically want to do whatever you're doing at the highest level, at least that's how it was for us. So I wanted to be a rock star. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right? You're not just playing guitar hero. You're, you're trying to be a rock star. And, and I think the reality for us is like, we had a desire. We had, um, a, a willingness to, to do the thing, but we didn't know what the thing was. And, you know, again, at 22 years old, once you understood what the thing was, and when I say the thing, I mean, like what it takes to train to you know, be the best at your sport, or at least achieve your full potential. That's ultimately what it what it came down to, right? And so um, when we were teaching and, and coaching, what we realized is, God, these kids don't know anything. We didn't know anything. They don't know anything. There has to be more people like this. You know, and again, at this time, it was 2009, um, even like tech it was, you know, evolute, like it was far and far uh, away from where it is now then. Like there was even just like this like uh, surge in the app world, right? Like everyone's like, oh, I want to I want to build an app. I yeah, that build. was the start of the mobile uh, mobile revolution back then. Exactly. Exactly. And so what we what we thought is, hey, we ought to we ought to seek to bring this information to the masses. Let's start small. Let's start specific. Let's start with high school football and let's teach them how to train for their sport. And so Ben's not technical. Um, I'm not technical. So we, we thought, you know, we ought to, we ought to bring somebody in that, that is technical, that understands this world, because in order to do this at scale, we think we need to kind of get into this, to this app world, get into the mobile app world and, and deliver it that way. And so, um, we had linked up actually with a, a teammate of ours at the, at the time, 
uh, and he was in Silicon Valley. He was like from the Bay and he was um, involved in a, in a separate startup. And long story short, we ended up raising money with, the, with a team of three of us. Um, we had done some testing before that and try to, you know, prove some assumptions that we had that one, you know, kids like to compete all of these things that we felt in our, in our just daily lives, but kind of in a more gamified structured way that we eventually would create an app out of. I want to, I want to stick on that for just one second. Uh, yeah. what, how, so how old were you guys when you raised that round? 22. Nice. Uh, man. No, actually we were a little bit, we were 20, maybe 23 and 24. Where did you raise, how much did you raise and where did you raise from at that age and with that vision? Yeah. So we were, we were, um, in Chicago, which, which I didn't understand until then, but it's a more conservative market in terms of like what people are willing to, well, at least the, the folks that we had interfaced with, these were all friends and family. And so Ben was, was working, um, also at a CrossFit gym in the mornings early. And so he had this network of people that would go to that gym and, and they understood that, that vision. Oftentimes they were like former athletes and this was in a neighborhood called river North in Chicago. So it was an, in a nicer neighborhood, more affluent population and there were basically 20 people that that gave us like you know between 20 and 40 thousand bucks a pop but we we raised five hundred thousand through friends uh first like you set up like uh spv or something like a special purpose vehicle and have like lps on on like a llc that's on the cap table or did you have all those 20 people on the cap table of train heroic yeah the latter okay actually these were like convertible convertible notes is was the vehicle yeah cool so so, you know, at, at that time, so now we had money uh, and we were thinking, okay, we ought to, you know, figure out the best use for this money. Well, right, right, as, right after we raised the money, we lost that technical co-founder. So now we got two guys, 500,000 bucks. We don't know a lick about technology. We do feel really like we, we are seeing traction in what we're trying to do. We have like, we've been meeting with high schools and we have people that are, um, let's just call it like pre-order this product and are, and are ready for it, or at least willing to, willing to pay for it. And uh, so then we ended up like hiring a contractor firm. So we probably made like a uh, 10,000 mistakes along the way. That was, that was the first um, they were, they were great. I don't know, like knock on, on them, but the, the willingness to, to work on something full time, to respond, react to it in the way that you need to, especially in those early days when you're learning, uh, you need somebody, at least we felt like at the time you need somebody that's, that's there. Uh, that's, you know, that's in-house that understands the the pain the customers are going through and that, that, you know, that, that are doing this, uh, as often and at the frequency and intensity that that you are, so we we ended up building a building a product and it took longer than we than we wanted, but it was a web based product, um, and so this was you know it it felt and looked like an app at least that's like you know in terms of like what the expectations were in two thousand and you know eleven at the time that this this kind of came to life, um, you know people would like whatever save it save it to their home screen right and they'd click on it and felt like an app but it was web based and so what we found is that actually using this inside a inside a weight room the responsiveness was like much slower than you needed needed it to be these places like oftentimes didn't have the connectivity that you wanted to right so you're like in the basement of a of a school maybe or even in like in some brick and mortar facility with like thick walls there's they don't need technology there at least they didn't at the time and so the user experience was um it was lacking. I mean, like you would you would do the thing, and on paper it felt like, hey, this is a really good idea. Then in practice, you'd see athletes like going through their sets and reps and looking to kind of click click the button, and it wasn't responding. Right there's there's like calculations being being made in, in real time, and it just didn't perform the way that you you needed it to perform. But 
so anyways, that kind of was the beginning of the beginning, if if you will, in terms of like, all right, we need, there are a million things that we need to do to, to make this technology smoother and faster and actually make it deliver the value that we believe it could deliver. Because, you know, initially it was about the content and it was about, we need to show people how to, how to do the thing. Um, then what we, what we realized there are, you know, there's layers to this thing. It's not just about the content. It's about how do you keep people engaged, mostly how you keep them connected to their to their coach, to their mission, to their purpose. And there are ways that we can do that. So um, do you guys provide like a virtual coach through your platform or? Uh... Yeah, good question. So this was like, I'll call this like 1.0, right? So in 1.0, we thought that we were going to be the content creators and, and we were initially. So like we actually had a coach that was um, one of our college strength and conditioning coaches that were that built this plan for high school athletes. So the the target customer at that point was like typically like a high school football coach that had good intentions, had a, you know, even like a good program, but just didn't feel comfortable in the weight room. They were tasked with the job to, um, you know, like develop the, the strength conditioning program, develop their, their athletes. But, you know, they might've been a really good defensive coordinator and a good head coach and a good English teacher, a great father, but like, they just didn't understand what to do in that room. So they, they brought us in as like, okay, sure. It's delivered through technology, but I'm buying this program. And the value, the value to them was actually the program. Maybe some of the allure um, was was the technology, but the technology was almost like a necessary evil to get the program. Um, at least in the in the early in the early days. And when you say program, it's like not uh, not like a software program, but the program, like the fitness program. Yeah, the training program. Exactly. Training program. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So so that that was like 1.0 days, and then as as you kind of started as we started understanding the market a little bit better. And as we started interfacing with prospects and customers, what we found is there were some high schools with strength and conditioning coaches. So these that meant that they were experts there that were really excited about the technology and the ability to use technology to deliver their training to their athletes and their students and track that progress and do the things that we were able to do through our tech. But they wanted control. Um, they wanted control over the content. In fact, they wanted our content gone so they could put their content in there. And we we had just through a string of luck had gotten introduced to like some bigger universities. We were working with like UCLA at that at that point. Uh, that coach introduced us to some folks in the tactical world. We were working with um, in Coronado. There's a, a team of Navy SEALs that we were working with, and so we kind of just got into these different verticals, if you will. And they and they um, they ended up just being sort of the. I say the catalyst to help us grow the business. Like when we got in the tactical world, those folks then told everybody in the tactical world and that world is just small, right? So it's like, okay, now you're on both coasts working with the Navy. Okay. Now you're working with, with the Marines and the air force and the army. And there are different like SOCOM units within there. And, and they needed this in a bad way. I think like what we, what we found is once we were able to open up the technology so that the coach could be the expert. And now we were just a tool um, that like, that made our, our, market um you know that 100x our 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 market how much share, of your revenue is that uh that military uh user base versus uh just like your everyday gym athlete or uh sports athlete yeah so i think like uh you know the, I'll, I'll call that 2.0 3.0 is probably today where the the majority is is in the like commercial market so so even today like at that point i'd say like 50 or 60 percent of our revenue is from that tactical or like uh, yeah, that tactical world, right? And the rest was from like the academic world, your high schools, your colleges. And, and as we as we built the technology, and even as we got like a bit more uh, tight on who our target was, and and you know their willingness to pay, and the 
there are complications with every market for sure. But in like the tactical world and in the you know academic world, they're just the buyer's different than your user. The decision making process is is long. The just the bureaucratic pre- bureaucratic process is long. The billing stuff is a little bit more complex. So we found like faster, much faster traction and even a bigger market in the commercial world. We're talking like personal trainers, small gyms, uh, even even large gyms. So today, like 80% of our revenue comes from from those folks. I want to take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. It, yeah. It's it's crazy. It's like never a straight line in these things to, no. to get a company up and running and working and firing all, on all cylinders. It's, you know, you just shared three different stages of evolution for how, how you guys got to where you are today. And it's all for us, it was just about finding product market fit, you know, and as we as we got closer and closer to product market fit, like the it, it just became much more obvious as to like what we needed to become, what we needed to do to really hit that, uh, n- you know, nail on the head and, and things like that. And that sort of informed the decisions on the tech before we had product market fit. There was so much to do because we were trying to serve so many masters, if you will. And we just didn't have the team to execute that. Even today, we wouldn't have the team to execute that, you know, in terms yeah, of like, do, like an everything product. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's niching niching down is so important. Uh, you know, I, I I'm constantly figuring out how we can niche down more in, in my own company. Uh, I talk to founders, you know, especially new founders all the time about focusing on niche, you know, not trying to be everything to everybody, just really having a lane and sticking to it. Uh, it just makes everything so much easier. It makes your marketing and sales easier. You can reuse your sales and and marketing assets more more easily and and uh you know your message can get more laser targeted and resonates better with your prospects and then also you know what you do to service customers and how you build out features in your application it's just more aligned towards a single vision or a single uh customer in need 100% uh, it just makes everything so much you know easier and better for you know it's easier to build and better to to sell uh totally. resonates better I tell like, so my job now is, is we have this like training marketplace. So, you know, I talked about like selling into these different, into these different uh, parts of the market, if you will, we have like a a training marketplace. The vision for that is to, to have a one-stop shop to go find the best training and coaches in the world, regardless of what you're training for, right? You might be training for a marathon or for a triathlon or to be an NFL player or just to look good naked, right? But regardless (laughs) of what you're training for, you go to this marketplace, you go find coaches in the marketplace and we're basically a business in a box for those coaches. So they use our platform to create and deliver their training. And then when an athlete or, you know, you or me want to achieve some goal, we go there, we pay for the training, probably a monthly membership or a a one-time purchase for a program. And we get, we get that delivered through the app. It comes with community and that coach is somewhat connected to us in a more generic sense. Like they have like a, basically it's like Facebook, uh, a Facebook group kind of jammed into the, into the app. It's all native and, and done from the app, but that's the value. My point here is those coaches oftentimes want to build a product or a membership for everybody. And, and my sentiment always like, if you're for everybody, then, you know, you're, you're, you're for nobody. And you like, even, even for those, like some of our top selling coaches have like these really, really, uh, you know, narrow focuses and they do great because it speaks specifically to the, to that person. And when that person gets there, it fits. 
and it gets them to exactly where they're trying to go rather than just kind of this generic um offering yeah so you shared uh you shared three uh phases of your evolution and ultimately you ended up on what you were calling this commercial uh use case like the uh this kind of like athlete uh use case and yeah. uh how did you know like you pivoted twice to get there and how yeah. did you know that you needed to pivot like what metrics were you looking at was it like daily active users or churn rate or customer acquisition cost or like some specific metric that didn't look right to you guys how did you know that you needed to pivot each time and when you got to this third evolution of train heroic how did you know that you hit it that you were like in the groove and now it's time to like buckle down and just do it what what metrics were you looking at yeah yeah good good question so i think uh i'd say like loosely several um more generically like engagement metrics really drove drove most of the decision making um in terms of in terms of the market too, I think some of that you know that's less metrics, but more like opportunity. The market for uh, the commercial space is is just much bigger. There's so like personal trainers, and you look in terms of like you know all the coaches in the world. You know most of those are are personal trainers, if you will. Like some of them have logos, and they're you know at Ohio State or uh, the Denver Broncos and things like that. And don't get me wrong, like we serve those people well, but the commercial coach uh, that market's just just massive now. What we found in our like in our selling cycle was that the decision maker at those bigger institutions and universities uh, wasn't the person that was buying or or wasn't the person using the product. So the the sale was was a bit more complex, right? They had to go and so we had to sell it to the user, and the user go had to go sell it to the buyer, and then oftentimes out of our control we would see churn because that user would leave that university and go somewhere else. Or the buyer would 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 leave the the university and go somewhere else, and like the turnover at that at that um, institution was so high that it was just hard to to do the thing consistently there. Sometimes that would be a benefit to you because you would leave, let's say, you know, just like just you'd leave like Ohio State, and that person would go to Wisconsin. Okay, well now you're working with Ohio State and Wisconsin because they wanted to take you there, and you're already embedded at Ohio State. But oftentimes that person would leave and go to the new school, and the new school was doing something else, and so you'd lose them both. And there was just oh, many yeah. things outside of our outside of our control. The commercial world was really interesting because so the it, decision- it, these these types of organizations just be like a single person that's kind of like your uh, your your user, or is there a way to like make it more infectious where it kind of spreads out into other users? Yeah, there definitely is. Uh, what what we found the if, again we'd look at like engagement as a leading indicator to whether or not an account was going to have a long lifetime value or or you know churn early, if you will. And what we found is that grassroots gave us the best engagement, meaning like it came from some champion at the school rather than like going to the AD, for example. Like one of our best use cases is the is this group called AFSOC, which is the Air Force Special Operations Command. And eventually AFSOC's like head of command came and said, hey, we want this for everybody in AFSOC, all these different units, if you will. But the way that that happened was like we started at the ground level with like one coach within AFSOC that was like, yo, I really want this, right? So he had it, he had his unit using it and got permission to use it with his unit. And then it had spread to another unit, another unit. So by the time that, you know, the head came to us, it was already, it was already being used really well. It was, it was uh, like one of our, it was just a really fun account to look at the metrics. You were like, holy cow, like, look at, look at how at that point are. they're coming to you and probably saying, instead of like you trying to sell them on implementing this at the whole company, they're probably coming to you and saying something like, Hey, this thing's like, 
spread all already throughout my whole organization. So I want like some insight into who's using it, how they're using exactly. it, what are the metrics? Can we roll this into one bill? You know, they're probably more coming to you with that conversation, I imagine. The 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 head of AppSoc said to me, he said, this is the single best investment that that we've ever made um in our in our operators. It's because everybody was using it, right? It's like you can have equipment that collects dust or you can have equipment that's that's being used and everybody was using it. And my point here is just like Yes, to answer your question, you can like you can go at you can go at this different elevation and sell it in at the top, but we just didn't see the buy-in. Like we've done that even like with like corporate gyms, if you will, right? You sell it at the top and now you're playing this game to really get it sold to to each coach. When it's their idea, uh, it goes much better. We I used to have this mentor. He said, if 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 you help them plan the fight, then they won't fight the plan. And and that's kind of been our strategy is you 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 actually are planning the fight with that, with that lower level coach. They're using the thing and then they go go up and, and, and buy it. So I think like, you know, to answer your question in terms of like, you know, how did we know we needed to pivot and stuff like that? Looking at engagement metrics, what we found to be the best um, use cases and, and engagement was that private coach because they had really, uh, how do we, how do we frame it at time? It was like, not commercial. Like, so the, the coach, we thought of the coach as like commercially incentivized. Right. The coach is doing this because he has a chance to grow his business or she has a chance to grow her business and make money. Now, the user was commercially incentivized, too, in that scenario. They were paying for this service. And, and therefore, there was a different level of commitment where even when you were at a high school like myself and Ben, we were pretty motivated athletes. We wanted to do the thing. But out of 100 athletes, what we found from an engagement perspective is like 25 of them were really motivated. 75 just maybe wanted to put on a jersey or 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 for whatever reason, didn't want to train hard. So that commercial environment showed us like very clear through the metrics that there are people that are motivated to do this thing. They have a higher willingness to pay. They can make decisions faster. And it just was frictionless. Like, you know, like you'll go on a date with somebody and like, you know, when it, when it's, when it's going to work, cause it's easy, right? Like that, that's how it was the whole while with, with my wife and myself is like, Oh, this is really easy. This is really fun. And you know that it fits and it just fits. That's kind of how it felt when we were, when we got into the right to you know when we found product market fit yeah have you ever uh have you ever read the challenger sale no uh it, that's a good book we'll, we'll link it in the show notes uh okay. i actually implemented that at my company uh just the methodology of it but uh it, it's very like a lot of the stuff you're talking about is right out of the challenger playbook you know don't try to go and like sell the top and then get the top to go sell their you know to sell their team it's better to go and build the champions speak the language to each individual champion and then the sale just happens at the at the top level once once you have the whole uh you know the the whole kind of like champion force behind you root, rooting for you know for your platform yeah uh and it has a lot of concepts of like teaching your teaching your customers taking control of the sale uh you know kind of like what taking the customer through a or taking the prospect through a journey of uh you know, understanding, uh, you know, learning new things, le learning new things that they didn't know before, and then understanding like the emotional impact of what those new things that they've just learned yeah. have on their business or, you know, their revenue or their risk profile or whatever. Uh, a lot of that stuff I'm hearing you kind of just naturally talk about, which is really cool. It's like, it's uh, the challenger sale is like this new, uh, you know, it's like relatively new. I think it's like a 10 year old methodology that's very much born out of the tech, uh, compact, complex solutions, uh, sale. Cool. 
Cool. Thanks for that. The challenge is I'll, I'll check it out. Cool. Yeah. So uh, that's awesome. I mean, it really sounds like um, it really sounds like you guys had quite a journey. So how long have you been in this like phase three, I think we're calling it of your evolution where you've just really found your your niche, you found your customer and you're just like in growth mode. How, how long has that been going on for? You know, so like uh, just from a timeline perspective, we started this thing in 2012. Uh, we, we like Ben and I were working on it in 2011, but 2012 was like when we when we actually got got going in 2014 was our second round of uh, our, our like real raise. So we ended up uh, moving to Boulder. Uh, we, we merged with this with this company called Training Peaks, who was in Boulder at the time. Training Peaks was uh, and they still are one. of I mean, they're the leader in in the endurance space in terms of connecting coaches to athletes. So if you're a Tour de France athlete that has won the Tour de France, you use Training Peaks. Your coach uses Training Peaks. All those top teams use Training Peaks, and they've been in the market for you know for thirty plus thirty plus years. So, but Training Peaks and, and just even even in the cycling and endurance world, there was like there wasn't a willingness to uh, strength train. So there wasn't a lot of like strength conditioning. In fact, there were no strength conditioning tools built into training peaks. So they were trying to build those and that's how they, and why they found us and why they invested in us and moved us out to Boulder. So that was in 2014. Um, and so I'd say like phase two really started in 2014. And then we got, we got to, to phase three quickly from 2014. So I'd say like probably like 2016. And in terms of, of growth, you know, there's one thing to have like product market fit. And then there's another thing to have like the means to serve it. So we like, when we moved to Boulder, there were three of us. Um, and, and we, we grew the team. We grew the team from like probably three to to 12 um, between 2014 and 2016. And then we grew the team to about 25 between 2016 and, and 2020. Um, and in, in 2020, we kind of more officially merged with training peaks uh, we're still there's still two products that are, that are serving the market, but there's there's one team serving both products. So now there's about 90, 90 on the team. And we we moved the office from uh, from Boulder, a little bit south of Boulder in this town called Louisville. Everywhere else in the world calls it Louisville, but it's Louisville in Colorado. Boulder's uh, Colorado is such a great place for a business like this, man. It's uh, there's so much tech out there. There's you know a lot of VC out there, and uh, literally every single person in Colorado is like an athlete of some kind. Like everyone's so outdoorsy. They're snowboarding, skiing, hiking, mountain biking. You know, everyone yeah. just like plans their life around like being in shape and and you know doing adventurous stuff. So it's like I feel like you guys are in the absolute right place for what you're doing. And it's been it, what we found even from a recruiting standpoint, it's like there were people that we wanted to bring onto the team in Chicago, but like your pre-revenue or you barely have any, you know, you're just kind of asking people to uh, hitch their wagon to this dream. They have to really believe in it. It was tough to recruit in Chicago. In fact, it was even tough uh, for for us to recruit in Boulder to a degree because Boulder's community at the time we were there was smaller. The tech scene was was smaller. We actually moved the company to Denver away from training peaks, like in an effort to, to recruit and bring on people like you're talking about. And what we found and what we learned many things from, from training peaks, but one thing that, that I found to just be so cool and something I never really paid any attention to was like training peaks would always uh, recruit and hire one quality that they'd recruit and hire was called like authenticity. And it meant that like the person got it, that they, in their world, typically like they're, you know, their accountant was like also a triathlete and they'd all go on like lunch rides and their developers were using the app because they loved the app and they needed it. And so there was a different like level. It was almost like that kind of founder feeling 
in that like, hey, I have a passion for this project. It's not just my 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 job. And so that was like that was a, a layer that we would layer into, you know, interview process and stuff like that. And eventually uh, we got like for a while, we were pretty maniacal about that. Like, are they are they a user? Are they a coach? Are they an athlete? Right. Like, what's let's go look at their training history, for example, like through the app. And if we couldn't like find examples of those, like that was maybe a sign that like this wasn't a thing for them. Or are they using like a similar app? Do they understand the? It's so the smart, man. I mean, just think about the diff. Think about the difference. I'm gonna bring this into like you know um, brick and mortar retail, but like think about the difference between the shopping experience at REI versus Dicks. You know, like yep. Dicks is just like just put anyone in and it's like willing to work at yep. like this low wage or whatever. Like it just you know, re retail, there's higher retail people plug them in, you know, they, they could be, be coming from Walmart or whatever. Yeah. REI, like every single person in that store, you can tell that like, as soon as they clock out, like they're going to be <laughs> kayaking, they're going to be hiking well, they're you know, right. whatever their thing is like, you know, they, they're working there because they love it. Like that's their life. Yep. And, uh, and it's just like the customer experience. Like if I, if I want to go and, you know, like buy a mountain bike, I know that like, if I go to REI, I'm going to be talking to someone who's really passionate about mountain bikes and knows all the details of the bike that they're trying to sell me. And they're going to sell me the right bike because they know all the things about sizing and how I'm going to be using it. And, you know, what makes the most sense if I need like, you know, tubeless tie, you know, tubeless wheels, all that kind of stuff. Like they know all the nuances of it. See, uh, and you and you trust them. And imagine if that person was building your bike, right? So that's what we saw on the engineering side is like, you can tell an engineer what to do if you have the vision and you have to be like really, really close to it all the time. But if, when the engineer understands the thing because they use the thing and they can tell you, no, 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 there's a better way to to do this. Or have you, have we thought about, like we've had engineers that truly like in their training session were like, this sucks. And then like the next day, there'd be some iteration of of some improvement on that, you know, on that thing that sucked in the app. And you're like, oh, that is that makes a lot of sense to show the training history right in line as you're logging your workout. So you know what you did last time, you know, and the just, just, just nuance like that. And that made it, honestly, that made it more fun. It wasn't like people were working on your thing. It's like we were working on our thing. And, and I think for culture that did more for our culture than, than anything else. So yeah, we were lucky to see that firsthand in order to sort of intentionally do it. That's so smart, man. It's, it's such a smart move you guys did. Uh, I want to change gears. Uh, there's a like there's a lot of like interesting influencers in the in the fitness space. Uh, yeah. But one that's like really interesting to me from a business perspective is Alex Hermosi. Yep. Uh, I'm sure you probably know about him. What what do you what do you think about him? Like being in the the fitness and athlete space. Like what do you think about him? He had that whole gym launch company. He's doing the acquire.com thing or uh, acquisition.com. I think it is now. Uh, acquire.com is a different thing. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting dude. Uh, he's been highly successful. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't know if it's his personality, like just like the handlebar mustache and like the, you know, big biceps, you know, wearing like the the tank top look, you know, the the sideways hat look that he's got or what. But uh, he just like, he seems to be crushing it in the fitness space. Yeah. You know, I, I think like for when we got into the commercial space, the the problem that we were trying to solve initially which was like help people uh, achieve their potential, right? And we were kind of focused on the athlete in that way, like help them achieve their potential. Um, I, I like, and when we got into the commercial space, it was like it was our focus shifted to the coach, and it was help you know help a coach grow and scale their their business. And the industry, I mean, all industries see some type of you know turnover and churn or whatever, right? You, your doctors will burn out, your coaches will burn out. 
But the coaching industry, the coaching industry looks different than any industry that I've been close to in that like a coach just doesn't make it. They don't. They're, they stick to it for three years. And the reality is this. They either get so successful that they work themselves out of a job. I just can't handle this anymore. I'm burnt out. I can only train, you know, eight personal training clients a day. And that means that, you know, I might be able to make, let's say, like 100,000 bucks if I'm like just absolutely killing it and my rates are higher than market. Uh, but then I start to have a family. So now I can't maybe have, you know, eight sessions a day. I got to go to six. So my you know income is reduced because I'm trading time for money. And that's what I'm doing as a, as a coach. Well, now I have a family. It's just... The, the long-term being able to coach just didn't work. It doesn't fit. And then you can go to different environments. Like, let's take, like, I keep throwing like Ohio State, but just, you know, high-level football, high-demand, um, stressful stressful gig. You know, they're spending 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. in the facility, right? And and granted, like, they might not even be busy during the day. They need to be there as a resource because, you know, guys are coming, girls are coming. They, they need to be there for those for those athletes. Well, like, there's no time left in the day. Uh, not to mention those folks aren't getting paid. Like uh, they're getting paid, but not anything significant. The head guy is maybe, but but nobody else. And so you had these coaches that were overworked and underpaid. And then you go to a brick and mortar facility. And I think for, again, I'm sorry to be so like industry specific, but you have these like these gyms, right? A lot of these coaches, they their dream was I want to own my own gym. And what, what we started to see is like, they were almost like building their own jail, right? They'd build this facility or buy a facility and then they'd be, um, in a place where they couldn't leave that facility. Like they had to open it. Exactly. Exactly. So that, you know, there's like, like any business, you have your break even point, maybe, okay, Hey, we need 200 members here. Right. So they get to the, they get to the 200 member point. Okay. Now, you know, now every member is, is, is revenue or is um, profit and we're in in a better place, but it's really hard to find people to manage those gyms. It's really hard to, I mean, there are many, many jobs to be done, but you're there, you know, 6 a.m., to 6 p.m. because those are the concentrated areas when people can actually, you know, get get to the gym. It just oftentimes you had these people that were creating something that they wanted so badly and they got to the thing and they realized this isn't like the life that that I wanted. Right. So they they like there was a real problem in the industry in churn. And ultimately, like we had to show coaches ways to turn the- churn in the in the the gym users or churn in the gym owners. Yeah, good clarity both. in the gym owners in the gym owners. Um, at least like, I, I feel like the ones that, uh, and, and don't get me wrong. Like some people will stick, stick it out, but it wasn't a very, like, it, there's some fulfillment there. Don't get me wrong. Like there, there's value that they're creating, but it's not like necessarily a sustainable lifestyle. And so I think like the problem that Alex solves and, and, you know, we're in, we're in a similar game is like, he's showing people how to scale their business and make, and make more money. And that was such a problem. And it was such a pain that it resonated with, with people. And Alex is a super bright, a super bright guy. You know, a lot of this is, is luck and right time, right place. And, and he was right time, right place and said the right thing and, and, and has, you know, awesome examples of, of how to do it. So I think like, you know, people in, in, in the industry speak really highly of Alex. I don't know him personally, but um, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I, I saw, I've seen him on a few podcasts and uh it's it's so interesting like his business model like the gym launch thing it, you know the playbook basically uh yeah. which is kind of it's almost kind of like what you guys are doing for trainers in a way i think uh kind of like laying out the playbook it's such a good business model because uh you know it just people who have you know a lot, a lot of people are not business savvy they just have you know like you said they they have a passion to do something they want to they want to do that thing that they they love doing and they want to make a living doing it but they don't know how to run Facebook ads. They don't know how to install Facebook pixels. They don't know how to, you know, run a sales funnel. They don't know how to price their services properly or do a PL or, 
you know, look at their finances or manage a CRM, like all that stuff is foreign to them. They just yep. want to go and like help people, you know, put on more muscles and, you know, like you said, look better naked. So uh, like when you have uh, when you when you have like a blueprint for how to do that, that someone can take it and just like implement it and you can, you know, measure, you can see, all right, now I make, you know, I'm doing the same, I'm doing the same business, but now I'm less stressed, less exhausted and making more money out of it. Uh, that's a great business model, uh, in my opinion. And it's also scalable too. like, I think, uh, the interesting thing that, uh, you know, that Alex has talked about on podcasts that I've listened to is that, you know, he was doing the gyms himself at, at the beginning. And first he had one gym and then two, and then, you know, he had like five or six at some point. And then he's, yeah. he was talking to some mentor and they're like, why are you scaling gyms? Like, why, why are you, why are you building more gyms? Why not just like take this model that you've used to create your gyms and sell that to all the gyms in the country. And, uh, so that was a brilliant move. Uh, yeah. I'm sure he would have done well doing gyms. He probably maybe would have had like 20 or 30 gyms someday and maybe, you know, cash flowed a few million dollars a year off of it. But, uh, I think he's probably doing a hundred times better than that at this point. Totally. And just the impact too. Like I, I believe in the industry and I believe in the value that it creates and and not just now, I think that value is, is even, you know, going in, in that direction, but like his ability to, to scale his impact, I think in, in his current business model is like nothing he'd be able to do in a brick and mortar uh, type of setup. So it's a cool deal. And, and we need it in a bad way. Was my comparison to like what you guys are doing for uh, like personal trainers to what he did for gyms? Is that like a, a accurate comparison? Would you say I think the value? I, yeah, I think like we're both seeking to deliver the same value. How he's doing it and how we're doing it is a little bit different. Like he focuses much heavier on on education, right? And like so, like he would be a great partner for for us, right? Where we compare him with the ten thousand coaches that we work with that could all find value in what Alex is doing. Uh, but but again, like the the objective the 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 goal that we're he's trying to uh get to is is the same and that's like help coaches grow and scale their business yeah cool yeah i think he actually sold it i heard uh i think he sold gym launch a few years ago yeah uh cool so what's uh what's the future man for train heroic for trading peaks uh for the industry in general like where is all this going uh five years ten years out yeah i think like uh there's a you know you're starting to hear this term like longevity you're starting to hear it more and more. Um, there's some like Peter Atia just wrote a book, Outlive on Longevity. And uh, you, you know, any podcast you 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 turn on in the health, in the health world, this is like a growing topic. And and basically the essence of it, there are many factors that go into like being healthy and having a long health span, if you if you will. Training is is uh is one of them, and it's a key ingredient. So I think the focus on on training is is going in a direction where more and more people are getting interested in it, involved in it, you know, are developing confidence in doing it and competence in doing it. Right. So I think like the, the future is how do you make it easier for folks to do the thing? Right. And so like today, if you, you know, I've got my, my garment on, right. And if I go for a run, um, my, my training sessions on here, right. I can start running. It tells me, all right, here's, here's your pace. And then once I'm all right, now you're done with your warm up. All right. We're doing intervals. Right. And it all just is, it shows up on my Garmin. And it's what we call it, it like what we're doing today in the strength world is all active data collection. I need to actually check off the box that I did five reps at 200 pounds. Right. But in the endurance world, they've already kind of uh, bridged this gap between like what it takes to collect data. And that's like, it's all passive data collection. So I think the future of our industry is making the actual prescription get to you faster and more efficiently. So like through things like your watch, 
different devices and then collecting that data and bringing it back to your coach. So, uh, you know, this idea of like keep coaches connected to their athletes, it's tough when there's when they're remote and when they don't understand everything that happened. But but with with technology and with with device integrations and things like that, I think we're going to we're going to really we're going to have a lot of help in bridging that gap and giving a coach a holistic picture into what's going on with that with that athlete. And it's not just like the actual training. It's all the external forces that are, you know, maybe stressing that athlete or that person. That that yeah, coach sleep. I got my uh, aura ring on. Exactly. Exactly. Measures the sleep and everything. Have you heard of blue zones before? No. Uh, oh, blue yeah. zones. Uh, you have where, heard of them? Where people, maybe I'm wrong, but like where people live to be, you know, 100 plus years old. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. like five or six or something or four or five or something in the world. Uh, there's one in Lomo, Linda, California. It's like right outside of Berkeley. There's one in right. Costa Rica. Uh, there's one in Sardinia, I think, Italy. Uh, and then there's one in, I think it's Okinawa, Japan. Uh, and I might be missing one or two, but uh, they basically, the, the population regularly lives to be over 100 years old. And yeah. I, I've, you know, the science scientists have studied it, researchers have studied it to try to figure out like, what are the commonalities between these different blue zones? The number one thing is strong sense of community. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, having a lot of people, family, neighbors, just like a strong community support system, like a purpose, you know, you people finding purpose in other, in their relationships. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, um, I think like Western culture, especially in the United States, we tend to like be workaholics and, you know, outcome oriented on, you know, goals and, and business and stuff like that. But uh, these, these regions, I think are less of that and more family oriented. Uh, but also, like, I think, you know, the other things in common was a uh, uh, healthy diet, obviously. And uh, they I think they're all in like relatively hilly areas where it's like walkable, walkable towns that have lots of, uh, you know, hills up up and down streets. So you're kind of like you, you're kind of using your uh, your cardiovascular system a little bit, just, you know, getting around every day. Uh, so that, that was, I, I think I, I might be misquoting some of the details, but that that's, I think what, uh, what the science found about it. And, uh, you know, I guess studying, uh, I have, I have a few friends who are into the longevity stuff as well. So yeah. I, I've, I've heard, heard about it. Um, uh, I, I could do a better job, I think with, uh, some of the diet and, uh, you know, activity, I could probably be a little bit more active, but, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting that like, you know, I think all that stuff doesn't even matter. Even some people that live in these blue zones that are like smokers can live over yeah. over a hundred just because like that community aspect, that family community, you know, purpose and in, in relationships aspect seems to be the driving force for that. Totally. Yeah. They seem to be like kind of stress-free environments, simpler ways of life, if you, if you will. So uh, I read a similar book called Ikigai, which is a Japanese. Uh, yeah. Japanese Ikigai. Yeah. Book. Yeah. But, and they found that they found, you know, the thing to be the same. And I, I like, for me, I'm probably more interested in health span than lifespan. Like how long can you, and Peter talks about this in that book, but like, how long can you keep doing the things that you love doing? Whatever those things are, you know, if it's hiking, if it's biking, if it's cycling, if it's swimming, if it's playing tennis or walking with your wife or whatever the, th whatever the thing is, right? How do you, how do you make sure you can maximize the amount of time that you can do that? And I, I believe that strength training and, and good coaches are are a major like a major ingredient in in making sure that that gets that gets done you know and you're seeing like you know the future of this industry i think coaches are getting scared of like ai and their ability to create training plans and stuff anybody can go get a training plan like we can go and google 
some training plan right now and get it for free. And those like training plans are, are uh, a dime a dozen. I'm not trying to discount like a coach's, a coach's work. There's some brilliant stuff out there for sure. But like the best training plan is just the one you believe in and the one that you stick to. And a coach has a unique ability to make sure that they understand your motivations and keep you kind of accountable and on that and on that track, right? And then everybody's life changes. It comes so back to relationships, man. It's the same thing we were just totally. talking about. Like, you know, having a relationship with a person who's like your advocate. Exactly. That can make you feel a certain way, you know? Like like for, for you, it might be, hey, like I want to make my coach proud. Or, you know, for me, it's like, hey, I know my coach is looking at my training session. So I want to make sure that I get the training session, you know? And like, hey, last week I did four of these and we're supposed to be progressing. Like, I'm going to go for this fifth this fifth rep. And it's not because it's set it on my training plans. Cause like, you know, I care about and want to make the the coach that, that programmed it for me feel like his you know work is, is worthwhile and I'm worthwhile. So. I downhill bike. Sometimes I was up at a uh, Mount, Mount, uh, Mount Vernon or uh, Mount Mountain Creek in Vernon, New Jersey. Okay. A few years ago. And there was this dude on the gondola who was like 75 years old or something. I forget, but I asked him, I was like, man, how old are you? And he's like, you know, it was in his seventies and I I did a run with him and he's like hitting like, you know, five or eight foot drops. You know, he's like riding the berms. You know, I was, I was like, man, this guy is my inspiration. I I hope, I hope I can do this when I'm 75. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And you you can, but I'm sure he's working for it, you know, yeah, or, or working towards it or whatever, but that's awesome. So uh, cool, man. Anything, uh, you know, anything else you want to plug or close out on or just any, you know, industry stuff, uh, you know, you want to uh, talk about? Uh, you know, I think like uh, we tell the story of, of Train Heroic and I think the reality is like, you know, Train Heroic, Training Peaks and even the the uh, parent brand Peaks where like we're very much at the beginning, beginning of this. There's a lot to a lot to come. It None of it's been easy. Most of it's been been, you know luck and good fortune truly like it's just been right place right time found the right person they did the they did the right thing uh but it's all been a struggle and we've made a million mistakes truly we've made a million mistakes i've 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 seen money just burn i don't know any entrepreneur who hasn't (laughs) yeah and and i think like the reality is like that's unfortunately for us that's been the way to learn if i can help accelerate somebody else's learning by talking about the mistakes that that we've made like i'm i'm available you can find me on uh, instagram train heroic josh or josh at trainheroic.com but like i'm i'm here for you know other folks if if i can you know be helpful in any way i'm i'm all about i'm all about doing that cool thanks for coming on yeah thanks brian appreciate you having me man The head of AFSOC said to me, he said, this is the single best investment that that we've ever made um, in our in our operators. It's because everybody was using it, right? It's like you can have equipment that collects dust or you can have equipment that's that's being used and everybody was using it. And my point here is just like, yes, to answer your question, you can like you can go at you can go at this different elevation and sell it in at the top. But we just didn't see the buy in like we've done that even like with like corporate gyms, if you will. Right. You sell it at the top and now you're playing this game to really get it sold to, to each coach when it's their idea, uh, it goes much better. We, I used to have this mentor. He said, if, if, if you help them plan the fight, then they won't fight the plan.